All right, welcome back to the Active Podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And as a reminder, Act Two is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is one of the things that we do. Please remember to subscribe to us. Mm-hmm. This the podcast, not us specifically, but you can if you want to, just so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming topics. You can give us a rating, write a comment there, tell us the weirdest note you've ever gotten. Oh, I like it. Maybe those are always fun. If you'd rather DM us, you can do that with questions or topic suggestions, or just you want to, you know, say hi. You can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. You can also find me, Tasha, on Instagram at Story Thursday, or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And today should be a pretty interesting day, Tasha. You think so? <laughs> <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I'm excited. I like this week in writing episodes. I think it's fun. It's like an info dump and it's where we get to be honest and connect about all of the crazy shit going on in our brains this week as writers. And I like that. Yeah. I like this week in writing as well. We are past episode 100. I didn't think we were <laughs> going to keep going, but apparently we're back. We're still going <laughs> and we have a lot to talk about. Josh, you just thought by episode 100, I would just forget and stop calling you to record. Yeah, I was like, we're, we're done. We did it. <laughs> We've seen each other for 100 straight weeks, and now we are it's a done. Lot. It's a it's, lot. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's absolutely insane. But now we're going to just keep going. I think we're going to go to 200. Let's at least get to 200 and see what happens. If Let's we hate go. each other by then, we could go our separate ways. <laughs> I can't. I'm going to need notes. <laughs> You're not, you're not getting rid of me. I'm like, hey, what's up? Want to read Just something? use the podcast to grab my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so uh, did you read my first 15 pages? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but it's awesome. I can't believe we had 100. We didn't really get to talk about this because with Steven, obviously he didn't want to hear us, you know, talk about ourselves probably. But I was thinking, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is nuts. Like 100 episodes. And we kind of figured out our way as we were going through. And, and now we're still figuring out our way in the next chunk of episodes that we're doing maturing as we go uh, yeah. yeah i guess you're in yeah. a new studio like wow this is actually mar a marker of a big it is because our very first like our first 10 episodes i went to your house for the first time because you refused to invite me over before that even though we've <laughs> known each other for 10 years or something <laughs> and um, we recorded uh -huh. at your house <laughs> and now i'm recording in my own house yeah. That's why it's so echoey, everyone. I'm sorry about the sound here. No, it sounds great. I was thinking about the time that Dave came over as well, and it was the three of us. And then, oh, so I, good. I was like, I'm going to make us margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, there, there's, there's an unreleased drunk episode. <laughs> Wait, is it? A, oh, is that our Wonder Woman episode? Uh, no, 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 that, no, no. That was um, uh, the first time we tried to do Lethal Weapon, and then I got a call from Nicole. And that's right. And Nicole's like, you need to come help me. There's a missing, there's like a child wandering down the street. And I was like, child oh. being abused on the and other. Was, yeah. Then we helped a child. That. That's a true story. And then, so there is existence of that podcast episode. I out think there. we, I think we published that episode. Oh, <laughs> I think it's there. I think if you go into our archives, everyone early on, 
Uh, yeah, you'll you'll hear us come back from this adventure where Josh saved a neighborhood child. It was pretty know. incredible. I don't know if I saved him, but <laughs> it was it was. I remember it because it was the Lethal Weapon episode because we were talking about LA cops, and then all of a sudden we confronted we were confronted by a pair of LA cops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that was it was like. Yeah, that was that was that was interesting. But anyway, that was a good time. It was also um, a time where I got drunk on our pod on the podcast, and I was just dating Paul at the time, who's now my fiance. Oh, I'm and, sure he um, loved it. I'm sure, he, he was, was real he was happy. Like, he's like, "Who's this Josh guy again? He's getting <laughs> you drunk on tequila when you're supposed to drive home." <laughs> All right, listen, and I, Paul can hear this as well. I I didn't know that you were so sensitive to tequila. <laughs> I do take full responsibility. I had like half a drink. And there were electrolytes. You had like two sips. And like Dave and I were like, is Tasha okay? <laughs> I just fucking leave a weapon, you guys. <laughs> fuck leave a weapon. Fuck this career. Like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> no, then we're going to burn that from the archives. All right, what yeah, are we doing today? Congratulations. Congratulations, yeah. Josh. On 100 episodes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We're going to do some This Week in Writing. Uh, do you want to go first? I think you should. Sure. I, I talked to a friend uh, who's having writer's block. And mm. we, were, we, were, we were talking about this. How do you combat writer's block? He's like, do you, have, do you get writer's block? And so we started to talk about this. And I came to realize I felt like writer's block doesn't exist. It's more of like a creative block that is basically determined by circumstances in your life and things that are going on. For instance, uh, you just finished a script, mm -hmm. you're fried. You have another project you're working on and that's sucking all of your time. Something maybe happened in your personal life. Something's happening with your children, whatever. There's like things that are happening that just suck energy out of your brain. And sometimes it's really hard to get the creative juices flowing. And so we were talking about that. And I think what we were talking about is like, it, it's important to remember that it, your creativity always comes back. It feels really dire. And you're like, I don't even know where to begin, but it comes back. And that's, yeah. that's, that's what we were talking about. It's interesting because I feel like early on when I first started writing and I wasn't writing for a job yet, or I wasn't writing for a pitch or I wasn't writing for a purpose. I was just writing for myself. I was just writing specs to try to get those specs into the market and all of those things, samples, et cetera. I would get writer's block and I don't get writer's block anymore. It is more what you're talking about. It's like circumstances in life prevent you from having the brain space to be able to write today because you mm -hmm. need a lot of runway just like silence, create creative runway to like get into the script. Then you need a few hours to actually write. I remember recently Paul was like, do you want to write real quick? Cause I know we have this thing in two hours. I was like, that's not enough time. He's like, yeah. it's in two hours. I was like, yeah, but by the time two hours happens, that's when I'm probably in my groove and that's, there's no point. Might as well mm -hmm. do something else that's productive in two hours. So it's interesting. Like, yeah, writer's walk would come up when, I don't, and I don't know why I've not examined that. I don't know if it's because like the pressure of I need to write this by a deadline is now like so present that mm -hmm. you just don't have time for writer's block. I don't know. Do you remember when you would get writer's block before? So I haven't seen you get writer's block in forever. I don't know if you have you ever even had writer's block. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, definitely. But I, I, it's always because 
it's not like, oh my God, I, I can't write. It's more so like, oh my God, I'm stressed out. And I just, mm. my brain is in five different areas. I'm thinking about my daughter. I'm thinking about fucking COVID, whatever else is going on in the world. You know, there's all those things yeah. where it just, it compounds and you're like, ah, okay, I'm, I can't do this. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, that, that, that I'm, that's not writer's block. Yeah. I don't, I also know people who can get like, so they get so stressed out about various aspects of writing that mm -hmm. they can't actually get into the writing itself because of just anxiety that builds up, which is really interesting. And I feel like in that case, this is easier said than done, but you really have to abandon the anxiety and focus on what's in front of you, which is literally just what is the scene? Like, yeah. just don't don't worry about where it ends. Don't worry about theme. Don't just what is your scene right now? And can you write a page and just get through it that way, like moment by moment? Like, for instance, I'm working on something right now. I have no idea how this set piece that I'm working on ends. It's a heist. No idea. No idea how it goes. How the heist ends? Yeah, I just they get it. They 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 get it somehow. <laughs> Boom. And I I look at my computer and I look at my notes and I and I just stare at it. I'm like, oh God, I I don't have it. I can't do it. Yeah. But I have because I'm sticking to my David H. Steinberg schedule. I know I have from this time to this time to figure it out. And so I wow. just know that all right, um, let me just try this. I might throw it away tomorrow, but let me just try it. And you it could try be it. I think it's and maybe it's allowing yourself to write poorly. Maybe yeah. that's a big part of getting through writer's block as well. Totally. I feel like when I accepted that whatever I was writing wasn't precious, mm. like the weight was just lifted because you put so much pressure. You're like, I want this first draft to be the draft. And I yeah. want this to be that, that success story where like I wrote it in a weekend or like these crazy things that yeah. just don't really exist, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time. And I've told you this before. I always look at my first draft of anything as like, a glorified outline where it's right. like this can be completely blown apart, but I just feel so much more confident when it's there. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. That's my first one. That's interesting. Okay. Mine, mine is a little heavy. <sighs> Should I just go one more time then? <laughs> no, but I have two. I have two. Okay. okay here no, we go. Not as heavy. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we had an awesome interview with Stephen tonight last week for our 100th episode, which I really enjoyed. I love all of his stories. I can't wait to have him on again. And I just want to comment on something that came up for me during one of his stories. And it was the moment where Stephen talked about how he was just sitting in his office one day uh, as a writer on Buffy, I think it was. And Joss Whedon just walks into his office and says, hey, you want to direct an episode of Angel? And at the time, he had no directing credits to his name. He had no directing experience in any way. He had, as a writer on a TV show, been on set. He'd watched directors do their thing. So basically, he had shadowed directors, but he had never actually directed. And then someone simply walked into his office and said, hey, do you want to direct? And he talked about being terrified that in the entire time that someone would actually realize he had no experience and just change their minds. And it never happened. And I think it's a fantastic story because it's so illustrative of the insane process that is TV production. And it's also a testament to the confidence they had in him because he clearly was someone who, again, they'd seen on set. They knew that he was accomplished in all of those things. And 
they believed that he could go on and, and direct an episode. And as they said, they buried him in like episode 17. So if you fucked it up, no one would really notice and it wouldn't destroy the show. But at the time, as he was telling the story, I just wanted to acknowledge that I had a thought of like, well, I thought that would be much more difficult <laughs> to like get a job as a director. And I started thinking about all the female writers I know who are trying to, to make their directing debut and they are finding a lot of hurdles to get someone to say, yes, you can direct. And this includes one woman in particular I know has decades of experience as, as a writer, more experience than even Steven had at the time he was asked to direct and nobody is letting her direct her movies. They just, they don't find her to be qualified. And this is all hearsay, so I want to like put that out there as well. Mm -hmm. This is just stories that have peppered Hollywood um, at the time. Um, the movie Wrinkle in Time, if you remember that movie, um, there were stories that everyone was telling that um, Ava DuVernay had been on the shortlist to direct that movie. She, of course, went on to direct it, but that people, some execs had questioned whether she had the experience to handle that movie. And let's look at where she was at the time, she had directed three movies, including Selma, several documentaries, three episodes of television, half a dozen shorts. She had all of this experience and people are still questioning whether she could direct this movie. And I also have personal friends of mine who are women writers trying to make the jump into directing specifically action movies. And they're questioned a lot whether they can handle like the masculinity of directing an action movie. And I'm saying all of that because I also know some white male writers who have no directing experience. They don't even have a reel and they have the con and I like love this and I, I wish I had more of this. They will option their script and say to the executive, great. Yeah, you can have this, but I'm going to direct this one. <laughs> and I, I guess I just wanted to acknowledge that People should not be discouraged by Steven's story of how he got his start as a director because it's a very unique story. I think it's very unique to Steven. It's very unique to the experiences that he had as a TV writer at that time in television. It's unique to the type of production that he was in and the environment. And I just want to make sure other writers out there, if they're struggling, they don't think that they're doing something wrong, right? Like that that is not how everyone's story goes and mm -hmm. i think the answer is very much to continue to talk to different writer directors to see how they made the jump and i think this is a really interesting topic because um so many writers i know are terrified of directing and think they can't do it but kind of want to like they have the bug they just don't know what what to do to get there and yeah. i think if we compare stories compare advice we'll see that there's all these really valuable tips like for me my huge takeaway from steven's story was how important it was to get onset experience because all of that onset experience was so key for the people around him to feel like he was capable of leading the set experience himself. And I think in a related story, I swear this isn't a tangent, but I had a TV friend of mine, a TV writer friend of mine say that she was invited for her show, her Disney plus show to go on set. And she was told by the showrunner, hey, you're just here as a courtesy. You're just here to kind of like watch stuff, like nothing more. And he told her to like go hang out in Video Village and that's it. And Video Village is kind of the section that's sort of away from the action a little bit where you get TVs are set up, you get headphones, and you can just kind of watch on the monitors what the cameras are seeing. But in this particular case, Video Village was so far away that this writer couldn't actually see or hear anything that the showrunner or the director was doing. So she felt like she wasn't learning anything. 
And so what she did was she just left her, her headset behind. She left Video Village when she was told not to. And she just literally shadowed him, just kind of stayed away from him. Yeah. But was close enough that she could pick up like, how is he talking to the director? How is he talking to the people on set? What do the different people on set do? How does the director talk to actors? All of these things that she knew was going to be extremely invaluable to her and her career that she couldn't learn anywhere. Like this was her shot to do it because what were the chances she was gonna get invited to another episode of her, her actual show? And I think the important thing here too was that she was not getting paid for this week. Like it was, again, it was a courtesy. It's like, yeah, you can come because it's your episode. And her reps had actually told her, don't do that. You're not getting paid. And she was like, yeah, but when else am I going to get this experience? And it was difficult for her to manage because she has a family and all of these things. But she knew it was so important that she was willing to not get paid for a week so she could learn. So I, that's all to say, like, there are so many different stories, so many different ways. But clearly, onset experience is absolutely key in getting to the next level of your career. And that's it. That's my first This Week in Writing. All right. <laughs> All right, number three. <laughs> but I, you know, I think one of the biggest points that Stephen brought up that actually people who, thank you for listening to the podcast, a couple of people who had listened to the podcast that I talked to, he was talking about how shows now are like eight episodes, or mm -hmm. I mean, series now are eight episodes and how that's a huge problem in terms of getting writers uh, like bringing up new people because the margin of error is so small and so the trust is just not there whereas i think in his scenario it was like if i remember correctly joss was running like three different shows and there's 22 episodes so it kind of sounded like yeah. he got like mixed up in the shuffle there but i think he brings up a pretty good point uh, i was thinking it was like that seasons really should try to be like 13 episodes 12 episodes like that seems like a sweet spot because it then allows to kind of give a little more uh, cushion and, and, and allowing other people to get a chance. I could see how that's a big problem. Yeah. And conversely, how I, I do think it, Steven's story is unique to the type of show he was working on and like the time that he was working in, like the, the oh, yeah, I guess that, what it was a late nineties, like the Buffy angel era. It was just a very different era of television. Oh, totally. That's like going back and being like, I wish my specs were selling like in the nineties. Like we're just, yeah. we're in like a completely new. Where's my million dollar sale. Yeah. Where's my million dollar <laughs> sale for this buddy comedy. But yeah. Okay. We can move on. All right. Hit me. What's your, what's your other this week in writing? Okay. And that wasn't too heavy, by the way, that was inspiring. Oh, thanks Josh. You're welcome. You're so kind. Uh, um, I watched Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. Yes. Let's do it. Hit me. A couple spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but it's on Disney Plus. So if you haven't seen it, that's your bad. <laughs> I I kind of felt like it was a movie that was lacking some cause and effect throughout. Mm. I will never actively, you know, shit on movies. I know what goes into it and the writing and this and this and this. And I really enjoyed a, Doctor Strange, a lot of it. Um, but there were just certain moments where I kind of found myself. I was like, huh, how did that happen? And and mm -hmm. and it it and there's like this scarlet witch aspect of it where it was like wow she got really powerful pretty quickly and like mm -hmm. these things that were just kind of happening that i guess if you're going to watch doctor strange 2 or watch it again i would maybe just keep an eye out for the cause and effect and just kind of like meaning okay x or you know a just happened and because of a now b's happening now because of b c's happening and now c's going back to a and i feel like there yeah. was just certain things that were 
popping up throughout the movie that were kind of catching me a little bit off guard. Yeah, I agree. I And it's so important because you definitely see a lot of writers go from A to G just because G is so cool. And you can tell that they like maybe have had this idea for a really long time, the G, and they yeah. can't wait to get there. And it's so exciting. But without doing the work of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, yeah. then which is the case in Doctor Strange as well, where it's like suddenly we're in a place doing a thing that I don't know why we're doing it. And that's the biggest reason why cause and effect is so important because suddenly we're in this cool thing and the cool thing that you're spending so much money on and that you were so excited about doesn't mean as much to me as it did to you because I don't know why or how we got here. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's so important to pay attention to that. Yeah, and there's so much cool shit. I love the writers. I lo I'm not. I mean, the movie. It's a movie. It got made. It's amazing. But there were and there's like the visuals in Doctor Strange. This is Doctor yeah. Strange too, of course. Are so cool. Yeah. So cool when they're flying through the multiverse. But yeah, that was my thought. And I just had yeah. to bring it up because it it seemed relevant. I agree. It's a super fun movie, but there was that that little issue that I noticed as well that just t takes away sort of your investment. I think in the storyline yeah I, I wish we could pull people in to find out if they, they feel the same way if they're like yeah or no you're wrong like i, I just want to know i want I, I this is the could. cause and effect exact yeah but then especially with marvel movies you get into uh i feel like that would become a heated argument <laughs> in a marvel movie <laughs> i just feel like guys listen we're just trying to bring more people into the podcast <laughs> marvel or star wars we should not just not talk about <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. I got into an argument with my friend recently about uh, the Obi-Wan series, which I was just loving. And my friend was like, what? Like it turned, it was like, it was as if like I punched his wife. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it got, it got, it got rough. Anyway. All right, all right. Moving on. All right. Cause and effect. Okay. My this week in writing is something that bothers me a little bit, but something I found really interesting that I just want to be honest about. Oh, Jesus. About. Is, is, this, is this about me? <laughs> oh, fuck. 100 episodes, Josh, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> Can't anymore. No, um, no I've, been, I've been reading a lot of samples lately to hire oh. new writers. Oh, thank God. So it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've been noticing a pattern about how I read these samples to hire people that I wanted to share because it mm. became very clear to me that this is a lesson for me as a writer as well. And I hate this about how uh, how people, I've always hated how people read our specs, right? Like, they, you know, oh, execs and they only read the first 10 pages. It's like, what? But I yeah. slaved so hard over all 50 or all 120. What are they doing? But I've only been reading the first 10 pages. And then what I do is I flip to the end <laughs> and then I read like the last page. And I'm like, okay, is this, is it worth reading between 10 and page 50? Because this is for a TV show. They're all uh, hour-long dramas that I'm reading. So they're about 50, 50 to 58 pages. Um, and by the way, if I see a 58-pager, I'm like, oh my God, why? <laughs> and then just to clarify, I think you get a sense, right? In the first like 10 pages, you're like, I know if this is like what I need. This is like the type of writer I want, right? Well, here's what's interesting uh -oh. is that I have noticed that it depends on my mood. 
And it depends on how stressed I am oh, Jesus because I, it's terrible. So I start, I realized I started, I started reading this one sample and this was recommend, this person was recommended to me by an agent, by several executives that I know, by someone, another person that I really trust. And I started reading the first 10 pages and I was like, this is bad and annoying and I hate it. And I was like, but I'm also like packing to move. And I'm also like, I have this deadline I have to do on this movie. And like, I have all these things. So I was like, okay, I need to give this person their due because right now it's clearly not the time to read it because I'm like getting mad at the writing. And so I set it down and I waited a day and I came back to it and I felt much better about it to the point where I like wanted to meet the writer because I thought the writing was, was good. So if someone if your reader doesn't have the wherewithal to know that their mood is affecting their read and to set it down and come back to it, which they probably won't, then that's their read is that they're just annoyed by your writing. There's nothing I think you can really do in that scenario, but that's a thing that came up. But the pattern I was seeing was what, like what was standing out for me for these writers, because there were a few scripts I read all the way through and couldn't put down. And I was like, well, Mm. why, why is that happening for this particular script and not others? And I tried to break it down. And I think I noticed a few key things. And one is really unique character voices. And I know that sounds basic and obvious. Like, of course, my characters are unique. And I think everyone thinks that their character is good and unique and and interesting. But that just hasn't been true in my experience of reading these. And I think what I mean here is specificity of voice, where there are two characters or however many you have in your scene And the mannerisms of their speech are so unique that you can tell who they are immediately and you are curious about their history, like where they Mm. come from, why they are this way. So it's not just like uh, they use lingo from New Orleans that's specific to New Orleans. It's not that. It's more like I can tell this person has a POV on the world that is so different from the other characters within the scene. And now I'm so curious about how that person got that point of view on the world, which is what you want when you're reading a TV show to begin with. You want to invest in these characters. And I I think the best way is to give an example. So there was one sample in particular where um, I read a little bit and I was like, I can't stop reading. I have to get to that. I have to know. And it wasn't even like the most exciting, riveting pilot of all time. It was just a lot of really great character work. And I noticed that the characters in every single scene wanted something different from each other. So not only did they speak differently, for example, one main character was this brash college student and the other was like a middle-aged dad who just kind of seemed tired all of the time. So they just had very different ways of speaking. One was brash, one was tired all the time. But also the brash college student wanted something different than the tired dad did in every single scene they were in. Now, that doesn't mean that they were literally arguing about the things that they were butting heads against in every scene. They could have been just talking about where should we get gas today. But the way that they were talking to each other clearly showed that they had beef with each other and had two very different points of view on the world. And I think like, for example, let's use you and me as an example. Okay. (laughs) Like if, if Josh was like really mad that I'm the kind of person who reads writer samples this way and like mm-hmm. puts it down after 10 pages. But you don't want to tell me that because you don't want to be confrontational or you don't want to hurt my feelings. Yeah. But you really do think that I'm a lazy and rude for not reading more than 10 pages. 
Whereas I feel like, hey, I just have no time to read 50 samples and also meet my deadlines. I just can't do it. But maybe we're talking about the weather. But clearly underlying our conversation about the weather, like you have attitude, like you're sarcastic, you're condescending to me. Maybe you disagree with me when I'm like, oh, that cloud looks like a dinosaur. You're like, no, it doesn't. It's yeah. stupid. It clearly looks like this. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. You just haven't done the work <laughs> of looking at that dinosaur or that cloud correctly. So clearly yeah. there's there's a point of view coming through in the way you're talking to me about the weather that's not directly about the subject matter, but it's clearly there's something bothering you. So when you just take that into context of every single scene, have have characters talking that way, where they're clearly disagreeing and have a point of view on the world that made me really intrigued and it made me not want to put it down because I wanted to learn more about these people who felt really fresh. And then the other big thing that I noticed I was really responding to was there being a holy shit moment that happens either really early, like in the, the end of the first act, like everything flips. And there's one example where the thing that flipped was there was a huge explosion in the world and like Whoa. now we're living in a post-apocalypse. And that's kind of not the holy shit moment I'm talking about because I was like, all right, cool, post-apocalypse, whatever. <laughs> um, but like the oh. holy shit moment I mean is like your characters are going along doing one thing and then suddenly their entire character has to change or a big key part of who their character is has to change to confront whatever this holy shit moment is. And in the case of this post-apocalypse script I'm referring to, there's a big explosion that happened, but the character kind of seemed the same after the apocalypse happened. There was not a big shift in their lifestyle or who they were. They were just now living in a post-apocalyptic world. So that's not to me a holy shit moment. Um, and sometimes the holy shit moment came at the when I flipped to the end of the pilot. So it was on the yeah. last page. And I remember there's one script where it like left it on a on a huge cliffhanger that I didn't understand because I flipped through the whole thing and got to the end. So I was like, oh, I'm kind of curious about what does this like symbol mean that's on the wall that like seems really important. I want to go like I went back five pages and it wasn't there. I went back ten pages and it wasn't oh. there. I was like, oh fuck, now I just have to read the whole thing. You're like you're like so, in a Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie reading a script right now. <laughs> backwards yeah so it's things like that i mean it's it's things that i think all writers have to contend with whether you're writing a book or you're writing a script but um i just found it interesting that those were the things that were getting me through these samples and it felt important to talk about no that's really important and going back to the character thing which i think is great it's so helpful to always ask yourself like where a character just came from so mm -hmm. for instance i just got fired from my job and uh, I'm walking in now. I'm seeing Tasha. We have to do the podcast. I'm like, oh, like, great. Like, and then I, you know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm a little chippy and yeah. we have different opinions because maybe you still work at the company or whatever, you know? And it's like, yeah, I personally find that to be really helpful. It's like, where did the character just come from? And what does a character want in this scene? Yeah. For me, that really helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And again, even I think it's, it's important to ask even if the characters technically want the same thing within the scene because mm -hmm. there's two, two different people. They're going to want different things just generally in their lives. And if you're coming to each scene knowing that context to your character, they're going to speak to each other in very different ways. And that, yeah, that's really interesting to me. I have to pay attention to that in my own stuff because I don't think about that overtly, I think, when I'm constructing yeah. scenes. And going back to what... uh a guest we had on Alex, 
he, Alex Convery, he was talking about um, when he started to write, he realized that in the first 15 pages of his features, he needed to just like punch people in the face and hook mm -hmm. people. And for him, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, that was a big moment for him where he just kind of started not to hack his own system, but just to really get a handle and really know that he was starting to keep people's attentions when it was like, boom, you're in, boom, you're going to yeah. keep reading because you're still in. And now you're in a little more. And it's just that, that yeah. ability to keep going. I do remember him talking about it that way. And I think that's super, super smart. I'm a huge fan of the slow burn. So that's not where my brain initially goes. Yeah. But um, it's clearly extremely important. But you can do, I feel like you can still do a slow burn and, and have it be engaging. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. It's harder, but it's absolutely something you can do and, and pay attention to in your own yeah. writing. My, my last one. Yeah. A screenwriter wrote us, Tasha. They're <gasps> asking for our thoughts. We have a listener. Yeah. The, the one he wrote <laughs> us finally. His name is Steve. Uh, he wrote his first screenplay. His first screenplay won a few grants. He ended up raising money for the mm. movie. He got the movie made. And now he's waiting for the movie to come out. The film has a distributor. It has a semi-recognizable cast. Let's just say recognizable cast. But the writer doesn't have a rep. And he was asking us what we would do in his position. Yeah. So to just kind of bring that all together, it was this writer who hustled, got his own money, wrote a script, uh, or wrote a script, got his own money, made it happen. He was, the, yeah. I don't know if he's a credited producer on it. I'm assuming he is, but uh, he did it, but he doesn't have a rep. And so he's, as he's waiting, I wrote him back and I, I gave him some advice, but I'm curious to what, what you would do. Oh, well, I would definitely direct them to our Corey Deshaun episode because he was in this exact scenario where he was making his own stuff, but didn't have reps yet. So listen to, listen to that one. I'm sure he has really great advice. He's also on Twitter and you can maybe DM him there for thoughts. Um, I've never been in this situation, so I'm not entirely sure I have the best advice, but I think something that you can do that will work much better for you now that you have a produced credit that has a distributor that has this recognizable or semi-recognizable cast is that puts you so far ahead of the line of other writers who are trying to get reps that you may yeah. be paid attention to more. And for, ex for example, I know a lot of writers who just cold email or mm -hmm. back in the day it was fax, but now it's email. They, I don't know why I said that, except that the one person I'm thinking of also used to fax people. <laughs> okay. Wow. Sorry. I'm going off track. Um, cold email agent or uh, managers in particular, agents don't typically answer cold emails, but managers more often do. And in your email, which they will get a lot of query emails um, in their day, in your email, you can, you should start with exactly this. Like, my name is this. I have just written and produced this movie distributed by X. Here is the cast. That's your first paragraph. Second paragraph is, hey, you know, I'm looking for a rep and uh, I have a sample you can read or you can, whatever, if your sample is the script um, that's being mm -hmm. produced, that's that's great to do. Um, I would also say that if you do have this, say, you know, I, attached is my script for this movie, if you want to do that. Or what I would say is <laughs> I will send you the script, right, that is the, this produced movie. 
And I also have an additional script as well. You should always, you know, mention that you have more than one script available. But that's what I would do is you can put that in your first paragraph is the short <laughs> answer of what I'm trying to say. Because other writers who are cold emailing can't do that. They just say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I right. like genre. But you you show that you have, there's uh, proof in the pudding to you if that totally. works. Yeah, I can. I completely agree. I, I, I definitely wouldn't just attach the script. I would yeah. definitely ask for the Take request. That back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, I completely agree. And that that's just blast out to everyone. And I don't think he lives in Los Angeles, but this would pertain to someone who even did live in LA, but between, between Twitter and cold emails, I just feel like he's going to yeah. get a response. Someone, yeah. someone is going to uh, latch on and be like, Oh, okay. You have a little hustle. You have some, a good drive. I'm interested. Let's read what else you have? Yeah. And I think the way you can, because Google exists, you can literally just Google literary managers in Hollywood or literally yeah. managers in motion pictures and TV. Because Google exists. Because Google exists. And it will, they'll just, back in the day, <laughs> there would be like published lists that only certain people would get of the names of these companies and you just if you didn't know you didn't know but now that google exists you can do this it's, it'll just be a huge list then what i would do if you're not familiar with any of these companies is google clients of verve clients of anonymous content or whatever so that you can see like are these people legit or are they just out to take your money which many yeah. of them are so do that initial research first and then send them your cold email and I think that's a great way to do it. Obviously submit to any festivals you can. That's it. I mean, that's it because I don't, I was never in this position before. Um, I know. And, and I think, I think as well, like he's already kind of tapped his contacts at his production, right? I believe so. Yeah. Because that's obviously another way is like, you're on set with these people. You've made relationships with them over the course of the production. And it's like, Hey, would you mind? Like, do you, can you recommend me to a manager that you might know? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's 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 insane that someone can get a movie made. Who it's so insane, but it it's it's good news. It's like you you're way ahead of me when I got my manager. You're like you, you'll be you'll be okay. Like I, I have faith. Yeah, in totally. That. Just have the next thing ready. That's it, and you're good. Yeah, and also ride the high now. Like before, yeah. do do these emails before the movie comes out because that's like the most exciting time. My dad totally. always says that like the most exciting time when you go out to eat at a restaurant is like right after you're, you've ordered and before your food gets there because you're like so excited for the food. <laughs> that's kind of the same idea. It's like your movie's gotten made, but it's not come out yet. Like that's the most exciting time for people to get excited about you because there's so much possibility. Once the movie comes out, people might have opinions. They might, you know, wow. I don't know, you know, so it, it's this nice, precious little time to, to act. That's prolific. Quote of the day <laughs> from your dad. I mean it. That's great. <laughs> that's it. Is that it? That was yours. I just took over yours. I don't know. No, that's what that's what we're we're talking that we talk to each other in this thing. Okay. <laughs> God, have we forgotten? We did a hundred. <laughs> it's a long time since we did this week in writing. I will say it is weird when we because we've had a lot of guests on recently, and then yeah. it almost makes makes us a little rusty. Or not us, but me a little bit, where I'm like, oh, I, I guess I guess I don't just ask questions. I, <laughs> yeah. How do we podcast again? <laughs> I guess we engage with each other. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that that that's it. That's all I got. All right.
that's it. That's it for me too. How's this week in writing? We did it. All right. I guess we have to wrap up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Quote of the day. (laughs) The quality of your writing will be directly related to your understanding of human behavior. Bong Joon-ho. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am Josh Hallman on Instagram, Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Can I say one of my favorite things is the thought you put to the quotes of the day when I'm done saying them? <laughs> <laughs> he looks, hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a good one. I was like, yeah, yeah, that, that was a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> I love throwing you. I'm going to find a good one next time. All right. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.